All right, folks, welcome to the Top Cheddar Podcast. I'm Rob Lullisher. Got my my winger, my wingman, uh, Mr. Cam Moon. How you doing, Mooner? Doing very well. Just always nice and relaxed. I'm, yeah. I'm doing well, Lolly. Doing well. Good to see you, bud. Boy, this uh, this week, another great guest. This guy, like, tons of, uh, well, you know, from the WHL to, to pro hockey to a lot of, a lot of Canadian, uh, hockey, like with the Olympics and, and that, um, Mark Habscheid. Yeah. Good, good fellow. Yeah. I was, was going to swear for a moment saying good shit, Almost. but then I was like, oh, <laughs> it's yeah, good thing no, you did. Uh, good thing. It's, I didn't do that this time. Good thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are, yeah. Habby's just got great stories and he's a great storyteller. Uh, his playing days, uh, playing in the WHL, playing in the NHL, uh, played in Edmonton, Minnesota, Detroit, Calgary, but so much experience as a coach. Uh, he played internationally at, with the, time, yeah. the World yeah, world Junior yeah. Program, Canadian Those National are, Program. Some cool stories, you know, like yeah. kind of going behind the Iron Curtain and, and some of his time with the, uh, with the Canadian team that, you know, at a time where opportunity wise not many people got to go into those parts of the world and and he was there with a with a front row seat and finding out when they never had the canadian anthem to play for anyone right that's right (laughs) yeah his his international experience playing and coaching and he coached uh, the world junior team coached the world championships and then a longtime coach in the whl too so yeah it's uh a great guy to have on for sure he, uh, I, I really appreciate, it. I think people will enjoy this too. The, you know, from his playing days, his take on, on leadership and, you know, coaching and just how he started to the, the things he paid attention to. And, and, you know, he talked about, you know, different coaches that he worked with and, and within their, their technical approaches and a bit of their emotional approach too, and, yeah. and kind of taking the best of both worlds. So, yeah, folks, I think uh, you're going to love this. And, uh, you know, we couldn't do this without our sponsors. And, and Mooner, boy, we got a great sponsor, Twig and Berries. If you haven't yet, folks, twigandberries.ca, men's apparel. They got the hoodies, the hats, the, the of course, the underwear, nutsack underwear, Mooner's favorite new underwear to I wear. Love right? I love it. The nutsack underwear is unbelievable. It really is. Unbelievable. Right. Yeah. Can't agree with you, or, or I can't agree with you. I take that yep. back. I can because I'm wearing them right now. They are good. Hockey wise, they got this whole new ice line that is that is so awesome. Mooner, it's like their best sellers right now. And why wouldn't it be? It's yeah, the, the ODR. Like who doesn't love the ODR, the outdoor rink? I was I was having a fight with a guy on Twitter who he didn't like the term ODR and and I come on oh yeah I had to I had to stop a little short of further insulting him that well you go to the rink my good man we will be at the ODR having a good time but they got toques and and uh, you know long sleeve shirts all that stuff you, you know, hockey folks you're gonna love that at the very end we'll share a code for you you can save some dough. Uh, when you make your next purchase, still time to get it uh, uh, for for all those special people in your life. And uh, Mooner, let's no no more delay here. Let's talk no. to Mr. Habscheid. Let's get to it. Great to have Mark Habscheid with us, a longtime WHL coach, a pro hockey player. Uh, Mark, I want to get right into it, right into the uh, the nuts <laughs> and the bolts go, Mooner. <laughs> of the hockey. Uh, you're from Swift Current but you played for the Saskatoon Blades at first, anyway, in the WHL. Let's talk about uh, your time in Saskatoon, the old Saskatoon arena. What was it like making the jump as a minor hockey player to the Blades? Well, it was the castle, Mooner. I can Mm -hmm. still remember listening to CFQC radio. I can't remember who the play-by-play guy was, but uh, listened to the Blades, and that was a time of... Federico and uh, Patty Conacher and and uh, that was the NHL for me. And then I was fortunate enough at that time you didn't have um, drafts; you had lists. So mm-hmm. I was listed, and uh, and then I went up to a training camp and I actually got to skate on the arena ice, which was amazing for me as a kid farm kids from south of swift current so i i got to do that and uh got to meet the very famous jackie mcleod and wow. uh yeah there was no recruiting there it was here's a jersey get out there kid and 
let's go show us what you can do and then uh yeah i played how'd you find out you were listed mark how did that come to be um i think you got i got a letter a letter and it just said that your list i'd heard you know at that time oh this team's gonna list you or that team you didn't never really knew and then i got a got a letter from the blade saying i was listed now drive drive north (laughs) yeah drive drive a little bit north Lolly and I, when we played in Saskatoon, Daryl Lubinicki was the general manager. When you played, he was the head coach. And recently, Lolly and I were talking, what would that have been like, having Luby as the head coach? So now I can ask somebody that actually has been through it. Luby was the best. Yeah, he, uh, well, when I first got um, there, I played with the Jays. It was a junior A affiliate. And Lorne Fry was the head coach of that. And the head coach up top was uh, Jerome Engel. And uh, I played one exhibition game when I was 16, and that was against Moscow Spartak. And it was really fun for me because I was 15, but an old guy for the Moscow Spartak was named Alexander Yakushev. So it was pretty cool to play against him, watching the 72 series. So that tells you how old I am. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, the next year, Lorne Fry was the head coach of the Blades. Uh, la- didn't last the year. I think he lasted 15, 20 games. And Lorne's a good friend of mine today. And uh, like every coach, Lorne got fired. And then they cleaned house. Jackie McLeod was relieved. And Luby came in with the dual hats. And he was coach and general manager. And Luby liked tough teams. So in came the tough guys. And I wasn't <laughs> one of them. <laughs> but we brought in uh, Daryl Stanley, Dave Brown, uh, lots of guys. Um, Donnie Clark was in there, uh, Wendell's older brother. And away we went. And Luby was was coaching. He coached the O's. And that was a junior A team way before that really successful coach with them. And gotcha. I think Luby was the electrician. So <laughs> so uh, the Brodskys had to get Luby away from being an electrician to coach the Blades. And uh, away he went. Wow. Did, uh, did Luby have his famous lines back then, Mark, of, I'm not going to tell you this effing guy's name, just his initials, Rob Lollisher, yeah. <laughs> proceed to rail on you. In front. Did, did he use those lines with you then? Luby was pure entertainment. He, uh, one of the first practices he came out and he had those, because at that time we didn't have anything, you know, fancy or whatever, but the coaches' sweats were those old gray champion sweats that were tight around the ankles so i think yeah. they went halfway up luby's uh calves so away he went and he came out there and the first thing we had to do was if you can imagine this we had to hang on to our stick with both hands and then without releasing our hands had to crawl over our stick with our legs and then back over the other way so that was good bounce luby had no problem doing that as you know mooner he's a pretty flexible guy so uh luby oh, yeah. did that no yeah, he showed us up right away. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Wow. Yeah, I can only imagine how much fun that would have been with him as the coach. It, it would have been, yeah, something. Yeah, he was, he well, every day. But he was, yep. you know, he played to win and he liked tough teams. and But he also liked skill guys, too. And uh, he just wanted the skill guys. And thanks for that, Luby. I thank you every day for that. He wanted the skill guys to be able to play skills, but he knew he had to have a little, what's the, best word insulation around oh, yeah them. so put it this way i was well insulated <laughs> a couple buffers it, yeah it looked oh, like yeah. you had some buffers on that team oh what, yeah that 81 82 year uh you what is it, 150 151 points mark i hear that's pretty good so the insulation must have been wonderful uh that year was uh the first year of team canada the whole uh, program of excellence at the world juniors and we talked about Mike with mike moeller on a previous podcast about that because he was a teammate with you at that world juniors you guys win the gold medal when you look back at at that experience and it, it was groundbreaking and and we still talk about it to this day what was that like well at the time it was you know you really didn't know what to think about it because the world junior before that was um basically the winner of the Memorial Cup the year before. And as you know, a lot of teams lose players when that happens. So didn't have a lot of success at the World Junior. And then they had one team where I think Gretzky was on that uh, they kind of put together an all-star team. But it was the year that I had played was, it was the first year of the year of our, the uh, Center of Excellence. And uh, so they put that team together and, 
and uh, really no one knew what to expect. And there were some players that declined invitations because, you know, it would take away from, from their club team. So it, we're kind of pioneers really didn't know what to expect. The tournament was split and uh, you know, we had Bob Strum and Sherry Basson as general managers and Dave King as a head coach. And if you know anything about Sherry Basson and Bob Strum, I think they might've hijacked the plane because we were after half of the tournament uh, in Winnipeg, we were, Murray Costello had us busing down to uh, Minneapolis, obviously for the save a few bucks. And before you know it, we were taking a bus all right, right to the airport and took a flight down to Minneapolis and uh, Strummer and Sherry Basson somehow did that. Uh, I don't know if they um, did it legally or illegally, but we flew down to Minnesota. It was pretty good. Way they better than points, than, maybe. Yeah, they use, that's it. They use their <laughs> Lots of points. Yeah, for sure. Hey, you guys, you win the gold. You got to, and, and we asked Moles about this too. And they didn't have the Canadian national anthem. And, and you guys just sang it right on the blue line. And that's become yeah. a tradition. What do you remember from that moment? Well, I think you go back to the morning. Because uh, at that time it was round robin. And they had the last game of the tournament. And that was right after the Miracle on Ice in 80. So the hype in the States was pretty big. So they wanted to have... The Soviet Union and the United States play at the Met Center where the North Stars played in front of 15,000 people on the last day. Well, that turned out to be a nothing game. And then they had in Rochester, Minnesota, where they had Team Canada versus Czechoslovakia. And that was in front of probably 2,500 people. And it was about minus 900 that day. <laughs> and it was a blizzard. And they jammed them in there. And it was so cold, we had a morning skate there. And probably what now all of a sudden we're realizing this is a pretty big deal. We had one game on TV and the rest was on CBC radio. So that, and it ended up checks. Canada was for the gold medal. Now Canada was on board country is kind of rallying, but couldn't see it. Just could hear it on CBC radio. So that morning, bunch of young bucks were realizing we were playing for the gold medal world junior. It's pretty big deal. Um, Again, Strummer and Sherry Basson somehow stole the gold medal to show us in the morning or before the game what the gold medal. And they, Sherry, he was, he could have been in theater. He was awesome. He said, okay, boys, he says, you look and look at it, but you can't touch it because it's not yours yet. Nice. And somehow he got his handle on the gold medal. And then, but I think what kind of sticks with me is the morning. A uh, friend and line mate of me and Mike's matter of fact, Todd Struby, a little bit of a funny guy. And Dave King, as we all know, is pretty serious. And uh, yeah, well, he should be serious, it was gold medal. So we always had a pre-practice plan meeting before we went out on the ice. And it was like 900 below in the rink and we were freezing. And so we we're in our stalls and we always had to have our helmets and skates done up waiting for the pre-practice. And then we went out. Well, Strubes had this balaclava. And so he put the balaclava on and then he put his helmet on and he's sitting in his stall and, uh, tensions pretty high and Dave King comes in and he's looking around ready to give a speech and he looks at Stroobes and Stroobes get that bleeping ski mask off and Stroobes looked at Kinger and goes Kinger how'd you know it was me <laughs> <laughs> and everybody died laughing and then we went out and Kinger was laughing too and that kind of cut the tension and then away we went and I think that I think the in the gold medal game, one of the things personally, what I remember the most is, and I don't know why Dave King did it, because at that stage of my career, defense was not a part of my vocabulary. I was an offensive player, and um, the Czechs had a really good player. Matter of fact, Scotty Bowman drafted him. His name was Yuri Dudacek. And uh, so there was, we had tied and all we need was a tie. And it was, I think, three minutes left in the game. And we had a face-off in our own end. And Kinger made the fatal mistake of putting me out there for the face-off. Well, against Yuri Dudacek, well, the puck went back so fast, it almost broke the defenseman's stick off the face-off. <laughs> and he wired it. And Mike Moffat, to this day, I don't know how he did it, made a glove save, whistle, he didn't have to wait to pull me off. I sprinted <laughs> off the ice to get somebody else out I there got to the face off. <laughs> no more D zone uh, face offs for no, me. Had no, know what you know and know what you don't know. And I yeah. didn't know defense. I couldn't spell defense, let alone know what it was all about. 
what a season though. Like you put up the big numbers with the blades. You played world juniors. You win a gold medal. You get your first NHL games in with the Edmonton Oilers. You were a mm-hmm. draft pick in 81. What was, and, and I don't know the, the way that season went. I don't know if those games were at the beginning of the year in the middle or at the end, but what was it like in your, your first time in the NHL? Well, I didn't really expect it because I was a six round pick and went to camp in Edmonton and went to the old municipal airport. And, you know, this farm kid from South of Swift Current goes to the big city of Saskatoon. And two years later, he's drafted to the Oilers and take my hockey bag and my wood Sherwood sticks and don't know what to expect and waiting at the airport. And I see this Dave Semenko guy and I recognized him. And then later I found out his buddy, Kurt Brackenberry was there too. And wow. And they were waiting by the luggage rack and I was waiting for my equipment and there was Dave Semenko and I was, wow, this is great. And all of a sudden the saddle comes out and Kurt Brackenberry grabs it. He was going to oiler camp too. And away he goes. So Semenko and Kurt Brackenberry and a horse saddle way they wow. go. And so, yeah, so that's, I, that's good. Insulation what, there too. Hey, that's good. Yeah, insulation. Those two absolutely. guys. So then I happened to go to the camp and fortunately I had a, kind of a lights out camp got me on the radar real quick and uh, signed a multi multi-year deal with the <laughs> Oilers Big air quotes. and Jack. Yeah. And uh, at that time there was two agents, there was Bill Waters and Alan Eagleson. And I never had an agent. No, you know, I wasn't the first rounder or anything. And so now the Oilers wanted to sign me to a contract and, um, and, um, and uh, so Jackie got him up. He said, you know, trying to negotiate a little bit. He, he was doing good. And, and, and then he told me Glenn brought out Mark Messier's contract which was fairly low contract. So I didn't have much bargaining power out of that, but he did negotiate him up originally got offered 10 grand to sign, but then yeah. he got him up to 15. By the time Ooh. I bought my trans amp, well, that nice. was gone. Nice. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you a quick, another story. Moody, you'll love this. You guys will love this one. So I got drafted in, I think May and I was graduating at that time and uh, from high school. How I graduated from high school, I still don't know. That it's a miracle right there is yeah. a miracle. Yeah. So, um, so I got drafted, I think, in May or something, and the and the graduation was the end of June. So it so so happened that my parents' twenty fifth wedding anniversary was the same time as my graduation. So they their friends out at the farm they wanted to have this big. Um, you know, get together for them to celebrate the surprise get together to have, them. but they're thinking, okay, you're at graduation and to, you know, Saturday night, how can we get your parents out to, to this uh, anniversary here? Cause they don't want to miss graduation or whatever. So they, they made me tell this story that, you know, mom and dad, you know, Glenn Sather came to Swift Current and, you know, you got to go to the farm. He's at the farm because he wants to talk to you about like contract for me and they're like really and I'm like, yeah so yeah. you know I, I can't yeah. go so you guys have got to go and you know talk to Glenn Sather and see if he's there so okay. well they're like wow this is unreal so they're, they bet and so by this time you know all the campers and trailers are making their way out to the farm and my parents are farm or out there and you know they're seeing these campers and trailers and they tell the story after and they're going out there. Well, where are these guys going? And then they turn in to go to the farm while the campers and trailers are going into the farm. And, and now all they get into the farmyard and they see all these trailers, cars, campers and stuff. And they're like, well, what are these people doing here? And they're, so they go into the house and everyone's like, Hey, surprise, you know, happy anniversary and stuff. And, and my mom and dad are like, well, that's great, but where's Glenn Sather? <laughs> like, geez, I hope he doesn't leave with all They're these all people here. To see here. Slats. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Good sales job by you. Oh, for sure. So they bit at hook, line, and sinker. They, my dad has since passed, but they still, they laugh, still laugh about that one because they were hook, line, and sinker. Even all the everyone there, and they were still looking for Glenn Sather in the crowd. So, <laughs> anyway, then I went to and. It, and then I fortunate enough to have a, had a good camp. And then I went, uh, 
they signed me to the deal, this huge multi-year deal. And, yes. um, and then as soon as I signed it, I don't know how it happened. Trans but they sent me back to junior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sent me back to junior and then I had a pretty good start there. And then they brought me back up to Edmonton for, for two months. And, uh, you know, I played, I don't know how many games I played there, but traveled with them. Uh, um, they had a, went down to LA. So, um, that was, that was big for me, but I got, I learned my first lesson of pro hockey that trip because Gary would make nothing. And so, uh, there was something and all the guys were so good to me. I was just a young buck, didn't know too much. And then we get to LA the night before and they're like, Hey, however, uh, everyone's you know, lots of guys are going for dinner. You want to go? Of course. Sure. Let's go. So they went to this place called the blue whale. So I'm thinking this is perfect. You know, farm kid, LA blue whale. I can do this. So away we go. We go to the blue whale and sit down and pretty fancy place. I'd never been to a place like this. So I open up the menu and to my shock, I'm looking at the right side of the page and this is totally out of my league. Like I can't oh, yeah. afford, like, this is crazy. Like I can't, what am I doing here? Like I, I can't afford this. Brent, so me, please. Yeah, this, my this in, is a mortgage in, payment. Yeah. In yeah. my infinite wisdom, I order like a water and a garlic toast and yeah. it's still going to cost me like 20 bucks, mm -hmm. but I'm thinking I can do, you know, okay. So these guys are ordering steak and lobster and la da da and, I'm like, okay, well, this is good. I got water and garlic bread. I'm happy. And then the bill comes and I'm like getting my 20 bucks out. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like X amount, wherever the bill was divided by 10 is what you owe. <laughs> so I was given a lesson there in a hurry. Yeah. That, uh, that wallet probably looked uh, a little bit lighter. Hey, it was a lot lighter and there wasn't much yeah. to go in there anyway, but yeah, it was, it was a lot lighter. But yeah. lesson number one at a restaurant, just order because you're paying just, for it anyway. Yeah, either yeah. way. Either now, way. The, yeah. Worth pointing the, the out, Mooner, you you got 151 points that year and only 55 games. Like, had the yeah, weather's not stolen you, you probably would have capped 200 that year, Mark. Well, you know, I played, I had good line mates and Luby was good. Like, he, I had space. And the thing with Luby was, you know, you sometimes you don't realize it till you're gone is, you know, Luby was a pretty, pretty, uh, he wasn't like Dave King where he had, you know, lots of fancy plays and this Luby was a meat and potatoes type of coach, but you know, as far as an offensive player, he never did. He say, well, just chip it in and dump it in. Yeah. He just let me do what I wanted. He let me be creative. He let me try stuff and, you know, do stuff out there. And he never, ever, uh, quash that part of my game which I was always appreciative for because he could have he was a meat and potatoes coach dump in chase play a heavy game but he in his in his uh wisdom he said singers sing and dancers dance <laughs> that would be exactly what he would say yes absolutely yes <laughs> how'd you guys lose to the Wranglers in the first round were they they, they were close to you in the in the standings they yeah. must have they just got hot or what happened there well Sauter was really defensive-minded coach and they had a guy by the name of Mike Vernon and Nett and they played a real defensive style and they just stifled us and you know they would win the 2-1 3-2 games and you know I probably should have scored more than I didn't than I did and uh, you know we were out in the first round which was really heartbreaking because we had a we had a pretty good team we did good during the regular season but we got snuffed out in the playoffs. You have to bring now, that up. Hey, Mooner, thanks sorry, a lot. Sorry, but that's like, that's like shocking to me. But I, Off the, the next, Christmas list. Off the, yeah, well, I, I doubt <laughs> I was on there to begin with. We'll see. Hey, I might be able to weasel my way back in. Uh, that there next, you go. Do, that's what I do. Big uh, setup coming, eh, Mooner? <laughs> that's right. That next, that next year, Mark, you played a lot with the Oilers, and then you played some with Kamloops. How did that come about like was that did you start in Kamloops did you end in Kamloops obviously there had to be a trade from Saskatoon somehow explain that yeah. one to me well the the Oilers at that time they bought the junior team and they wanted to kind of create at that time a bit of a farm system in junior so they bought Kamloops and they called them 
or they bought New Westminster, I think. And yeah, and they called them the Junior Oilers. Yeah, the Junior Oilers, and so they just thought, well, that's a perfect spot to have a you know a, a prospect. But I started with the Oil because I was 19. You know, I had a, obviously I had a pretty good year the year before. I played for going just going back when I was 18. I'd played for six teams. I played for <clears throat> the Blades, the Oilers. Um, World Senior went over after we had lost out. World Senior uh, played some exhibition games in um, in uh, Sweden. Then I played the Western Hockey League. Got an All Star game at that time. Played in that World Junior. And then after I came back from the World Championships, I had got cut. I was just not eighteen or whatever. I got cut from there. I went down to the Wichita Wind wow. and uh, was there for two three weeks. So. And then after that, as a 19 year old, they wanted to keep me, but I didn't, didn't start out as good as I could have. And, uh, and then they sent me back to junior in, uh, in Kamloops for six games. And, uh, I had put up some numbers there and then, and then they, uh, they brought me back and, uh, spent the rest of the year there and didn't play as much. If I had to do it over, I would have probably asked just to stay in Kamloops and play as much as it's cool at that time playing in the NHL but I did more sitting than playing and it probably hurt me in the long run, but it is what it is. Now you were part of that oiler organization. I mean, right through to the end of 84, 85 uh, with that group. I mean, they, they won the Stanley cup in 84 and 85 and got to the finals in 83 and just being mm-hmm. around that uh, group of talent and, and those players, what was that like? Well, in the old oiler room, um, the year that I, as a 19 year old, that was my full year that I'd basically been there. And, and that was the year that we had lost to the Islanders in four straight. And a couple things go to mind. There was one, um, because I was the youngest, you get the worst stall and the worst stall was a half stall. And it was just in the corner of the dressing room. So I got the half stall and there was people going, you know, into the back room. Well, that half stall happened to be beside a guy with two nines on his back. Wow. So that was pretty cool looking, looking back on that. And that was my stall when I was there. And, and, uh, and then the second thing I think that really comes to, uh, to mind is, is just the closeness of the team, you know, as great of a bunch of individual players, half that team is in the hall of fame mm-hmm. and they were a better team. I can remember. And I think I played 30 games that year. So, and not in the playoffs. So I wasn't eligible for, even if we had won to get my name on the Stanley cup, would I have, would they have somehow, maybe, I don't know. But at that time, I forget what the shares was, but you get a certain amount of shares to go around and there was maybe 22 shares, but we had 24 players and two of the extra players was, uh, was myself. And I forget who else it was. And the players had a vote, you know, whether, cause I was just a standby, you know, and I was a young guy, but they voted to split up their shares to create two extra to include us, which tells a lot about them. Yeah, that's pro. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, when you moved on to the Minnesota North Stars, but you also got a couple of years with the Canadian national team back when there was a Canadian national team that would play like a full schedule, uh, whether that be North America or all, all through Europe. How was that experience with, uh, with that? You, you probably see the whole world. You know what? If I look back in my illustriously average career, that might have been the most unique. Um, it was, I think, 16 months. I was in Minnesota, and I got traded there for a good friend of mine, Gord Sherman, matter of fact. We, just, huh. we were going the other way, so we had a good laugh about that. And uh, went to Minnesota for the first time, and... Didn't fit there. I had a chance. There was another team that I could have went uh, and played for on waivers. I got picked up by another NHL team from Minnesota, but I had the choice to do that or to just void my contract. And at that time, I wasn't as good a player that I could have been. And I just, I trusted Dave King because of the world junior and I decided to go back to the national team. So I went there and it was the best thing I had done because I had, as Dave King would say I invested in my game again and got back playing. I actually learned how to play a little bit of defense, <laughs> got to play in the Olympic games in Calgary. Um, yeah. But more than that, you know, you got to go behind the iron curtain 
and no one gets to do that anymore because there is no iron curtain. So we went back there and I could write a book just on those 15 months. It was incredible places we went. Uh, uh, and you'll, you know, you learn not only a lot about, about uh, playing hockey, but you learn a lot about life. We went to uh, Moscow. We went, and Dave was always really good about doing stuff off the ice, touring, um, getting, getting uh, life lessons. So we played in Poland against Polish national team. We went to Auschwitz. We uh, went to Moscow. We went downtown. We played in Luzhniki, matter of fact. And we were the first, Derek Dachuk from Calgary calls it the greatest uh, Canadian victory that no one knows about. And we were, we were just a bunch of kids. And I don't know, remember the Mario Lemieux goal? Team Canada, Canada oh, yeah, Cup. Yeah. 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 Well, we played that. Yeah. Yeah, we played that same team four months later in Moscow with a bunch of guys. Probably our most famous player was a young kid in goal named Sean Burke. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cliff was just, Cliff Ronning was a young guy at that time, I think 20. He was on that team. And the rest of us, Zara Lizalowski, but the rest of us were just, we weren't good enough to play in the NHL. But it taught you a lot about team because we went in there and we beat the Soviets, first team to beat them, and won the Izvestia Cup 3-2. And, uh, and then that was the fatal mistake because after that sports illustrators picked us to win the Olympic games in Calgary. And all we did was <laughs> tick the Soviet union off because we beat them. And it was the great part about that was we beat them in, in their own rank, Luzhniki, the whole thing we went and, uh, you have to get they an escort had, out of town. <laughs> well, we win the tournament. So you're standing on the, uh, on the blue line to hear our anthem and they played the Soviet national anthem instead. So <laughs> they showed us. One. <laughs> yeah. You guys ruined the script. We did. I know. And they had, uh, Sean. <laughs> you're Burke. like, I know this deal. We'll just sing it ourselves again. Yeah. 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 Sean Burke was our goalie young kid. He won all-star goaltender and the Soviets won every other all-star position. So that was that. How was that? Uh, how was the Olympics in Calgary? You know As what? an experience. Well, you don't really realize it. At the time, okay, we're in this Olympic Games thing and you're cruising around McMahon Stadium in these outfits and you think, oh, this is pretty cool. But then when you're as old as I am, you're going, okay, I played in the Olympic Games in Calgary at home. And, you know, you got to see the parents uh, in the stands. You got to, uh, that was the year of Eddie the Eagle. So he was yeah, like yeah. a rock star there. And uh, the Jamaicans, it was the yeah, the Jamaicans, yeah, and just to have it in Calgary at that time. And they yeah. at that time you could make the saddle dome ice bigger, so we were on on um international ice, and and it was quite something just to be able to play in the Olympics, so it was good. Wow, now when you, you got near the end of your pro career, and, and I know you spent some time in Las Vegas it, back in the old IHL, went to Europe. At what point uh, did you start to think maybe coaching is the thing for me? I know you were a player assistant. You were Reggie Dunlop in Las Vegas. <laughs> you know when, when it started? Is that when it started or when? It started in uh, probably Edmonton because yeah. I just started keeping handouts. And then I started keeping notes, little things that I found interesting. And I think what helped me as a player but also hurt me as a player was I thought. I was a thinking player. I could read plays. I could make little passes and anticipate, which was good as a player, but I didn't skate as much as I could have. And that probably hurt me, but maybe helped me a little bit more as coaching. So I, I helped it. And then later in, or kept these handouts, but later in my career, I went uh, in Vegas. I went, when I was out of the NHL, um, I started taking my coaching levels and went to summer and taking my coaching levels and, trying to expand my horizons. I had a hockey school when I was younger. Uh, and so I, I liked that part of it and then got into coaching clinics and met different guys in the coaching uh, game, liked it. And then, and then my last year I was in, uh, in um, Augsburg, Germany, and I had a chance to go back and make, you know, good money. Or I had a chance to go to Melfort and coach the Mustangs for 25 grand. So I chose Melfort. <laughs> Not the sharpest <laughs> knife in the drawer, but I hey, best move I did. Going. Yeah, I got yeah. you going. 
But I really, you know, something really hit me because I went, I was from Swift Current and went up, got the job. And you know how it is when you're playing, there's so much pressure. And, you know, especially later in your career, you're trying to hang on and, you know, extend it as long as you can. And so I had to make a decision. Do I coach in Melford or do I go to Germany? But the year before, my son was, uh, I think he was three or four, and we lived in this complex, beautiful, nice complex in uh, Augsburg, Germany, kind of like a townhouse. And uh, I was watching him. He's around these other kids, and and then he came back, and obviously these kids could speak German, and my son couldn't speak. So he was around the kids, and then he came back, and he was sitting on the step, and he was crying. And I went out, and I said, Jack, what's wrong? And he said, looked at me with those big blue eyes and he said dad why don't these kids like me and I just that was it I knew right then that was my last year because you know they couldn't understand English he couldn't understand them so you know he didn't they didn't want to play and couldn't understand so I just thought you know what there's something bigger than this so went to Melford and then on my way back to Swift Current I was in the van I pulled over and I just cried like a baby because it was however 35 years of hockey playing was gone yeah. and onto a different phase but it just something really hit me there that it was over and yeah. uh, had a good cry when i went back home uh, onward mark when you talk about collecting handouts and that as a player when you started thinking like a coach can you just mm-hmm. expand on that a little i'm curious like what what kind of things were you hanging on to well at that time you were given handouts as to uh um you know what what uh type of systems you were playing or or whatever so i instead of just reading them and throwing away i kept it and then i put it in a three ring binder and i just kept the stuff and a lot of it is irrelevant now but it was just that kind of stuff fascinated me and then when you'd go and you know you get a lecture from whoever you know when i was with the whether it be the oilers or team canada you get handouts you know i'd keep that stuff and then I'd refer to it and look back on it. And uh, so it was, it was, it was handy stuff. It was, yeah. it was good. And, and just, you know, that side always interested me. Sounds like a little binder, uh, hockey hall of fame might want to get their hands on. Oh, there's, I think 1200 pages. game plans from yeah. all the Oilers there's, years. There's 1200 pages, I think. So. Nice. Yeah. You, uh, Mark, you were able to make that move up to the Western League from the Saskatchewan Junior League after one year. You guys had a pretty good team there in Melfort, and you get back to Kamloops. Uh, was it was it a big change, or was it you know it's pretty much the same thing? You're just coaching; it's a different level. But how, how different was it for you? Oh, it was really different because at that time Kamloops was known. That's that was in '98, not far yeah. off from the three in a row, and. Uh, we had a and good run leading yeah. up to that moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I can remember going in, it was Camus was called little Montreal and the, the president of the team picked me up at the airport, Stu McGregor, love the guy to this day, gave me a chance, met with them. Um, oh, I got to go back. I got to tell you this story. This is a good story, please. So, so we go back. So now I'm in Melfort and I'm, I'm living the day. I'm loving Melford, yeah. loving the people there. It's It was like back home. And I still can remember going back to the house we had rented and there was two bags of uh, vegetables outside the door because they were welcoming us to Melford. Loved the time. They still have good friends there and uh, holds a special place. And um, so now we had had a pretty good year in Melford. Willie Mitchell was on my team and Ryan Holmstall, Barkley Sauter, Real good bunch, but I was, you know, I was um, booking buses and, you know, I'd Fraser yeah. Romanuk help me, but, you know, you do kind of everything there. So I, I learned a lot and wasn't really looking for a job. And then uh, Lethbridge had went to the final and Perry Shockey was a good friend of mine. Uh, he was, he was the guy and the Regina was looking for a coach and Ed Dempsey, I think, um, was relieved of his duties in Kamloops. So Kamloops Regina were looking for, for uh, coaches. So, you know, I just thought for the experience, I'll just whatever apply because I'm not going to get it. I know that. So I'll just apply. So I applied to Regina and then I applied to Kamloops. So we had a board meeting in Yorkton for the Mustangs. So a couple, two, three board members hopped in the car and 
And they said, hey, guys, do you mind if I go down to Regina to interview for the Pats job? And like Perry Shock, the rumors are he's going to get, well, he can pretty much have his pick count whoops or Regina because he was the guy at the time. And, you know, I'm just a junior A coach, so I have no chance. But, you know, the interview will be good and good experience. And they said, yeah, sure. And then I said, after the interview, we'll just head up to Yorkton and go to our league meetings. Perfect. Yeah, no problem. So I go down there and they drop me off at the Agrodome and Brent Parker's there. Brent's a good man. He gave me gave me a, a chance to interview too. And but Perry Shockey was obviously a much better coach than than I was, and he was successful. So I had a pretty good idea. But you know what? I'm gonna go interview anyway. So go in there and like it was a you know, had the front office staff and I was like whoa this is pretty impressive so I had to sit down and then Brent came out and okay come on in shook his hand and and he was gracious to me before because in Melford just go back he brought some of us down there to show how they marketed their team you know so just help us and he was he was really gracious to us but uh, so he brought me into his office and he picked up the phone and he says okay um told the front you know do not disturb me. I'm in a, you know, meeting here, interview meeting. So please do not disturb. Okay, fine. So meeting starts and we're having a good, good chat and, and it's going pretty good. I'm thinking, and all of a sudden his phone buzzes and I'm like, Oh, it goes. So he picks up the phone and he starts talking. Well, it's Perry Shockey. <laughs> so right there, I kind of figured I didn't have a real good shot of being the head coach in China. <laughs> so I went out and boys said, how'd it go? I said, great, but we're, I'm coming back to Melford because I have no chance. So I told him the story. So we had a good laugh and away we went. But then, uh, yeah. So Stu McGregor gave me a call after out of the blue. And he said, let's meet in Medicine Hat. Met in Medicine Hat and... Uh, Called me two days later, offered me the contract. Absolutely no negotiation. I was just happy to get the job. And yeah. and uh, away we went. And then Colin Day picked me up. The president picked me up at the airport, yeah. brought me in and said, look up at the rafters. And all the, all you could see was banners hanging. And he said, we expect that every year. So away we went. No pressure there, though. None. Hey, you got to the WHL final in 99. Yeah, we did. And led by a real good bunch, led by the captain, A.J. Baines, yeah. one of the greatest captains I've ever been around, just a great human being, and had some good players on that team, really tight-knit group, good good bunch of guys, played hard, and uh, Kendrick Exner was a real story that year. He came oh, out that's of that's right. Backup from, goalie out of like Estevan. Estevan, yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine gave, him his, gave me his name. We kind of needed a goalie because Randy Petruck had graduated. So he said, give this guy a chance, you know, he's, so he was a backup goalie in Esteban the year before we brought him in and he ended up getting an invite to the world junior. And uh, he broke John Davidson's goals against record, which was standing, I think since 72. So he's yep. great story. Yeah. That was, I forgot all about that till just now, but that was like one of the big stories of that season yeah. was who the heck is this guy? Yeah. And he comes yeah. in and just like takes over, Everything. Yeah. He became the talk of the league. And he seemed, I, from what I understand, was just a great kid, too. So you're happy yeah. to see him have that success. Oh, he was awesome. And the bet, I think a good story there was Tom Rennie was coaching. The World Junior was in Winnipeg at that time. And Robin Regeer, who had played for me, was on that team. And so we had kept in touch with the, with the coaches. And Tom Rennie was coaching that team. And, and Kendrick Exner got, a, got an invite. So he went from backup in Estevan Junior A the year before to the league final, breaking John Davidson's goals against record, WHL All-Star team, World Junior invite. And he did make the team because that was Luongo's year. So he yeah. got cut, got sent back to Kamloops. And Tom Rennie phoned me right away and he goes, this kid just probably made the tournament for us. I said, what are you talking about? He said, what an unbelievable kid. I said, well, why? Said you bring him in. So now you get the dreaded five o'clock in the morning call. We bring the right. kid in and you know, you're just waiting. I've been in that church. So you're just waiting to get yelled at. And uh, because you know, you cut the kid and and uh Kendrick Exner couldn't thank me enough because it was a dream come true to be on the same ice as Roberto Luongo and 
to even get an invite to the world junior and it was the greatest experience and I'm so grateful for the opportunity and this is and blah 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 and Tom just sat there kind of dumbfounded didn't know what to say because usually you don't get that kind of response yeah. but he did from Kendra wow that's unbelievable <laughs> uh, then you get to uh Kelowna I know you're in Kelowna from 99 to 04 you guys said whl championship in 03 which you won right here in this rink in red deer in uh, a game six in front of way more people than is supposed to be in this rink if you recall uh, and you guys won the memorial cup uh, in the next year in 04 you're hosting in Kelowna. Uh, what were the the keys to all the success that the the rockets had during that era well you can start by one, Lauren Fry. Yeah. You know, he's the guy that found these kids. I mean, we had some kid that I was coaching. I was away being an assistant coach and they had listed this big kid. Didn't even know who the kid was. He was some big kid and, and no one wanted, he wasn't drafted. He was playing in Sycamus. And I came back and Jeff Truitt, good friend of mine he said however this you should see this guy he's a pretty good player and i was like yeah okay he's 16 and he was as a 16 year old we didn't keep him because he was just a list you know so he went back to junior b and and um turns out to be a pretty good player his name's shay weber so you know you take Lorney found him you know he, yeah. he listed him Lorney listed uh another kid that really not a lot of teams wanted uh skinny kid big feet um really small he turned out okay too his name was duncan keith so <laughs> yep. you know and then you had josh george's and uh you know uh mcleod's uh paddock yelich uh just just a bunch of really good players and you can say what you want what the key was you know if you don't have good players you're not winning and we were lucky there. We had really good players. And who found the players? Lauren Fry did. And obviously, Bruce Hamilton made some good trades for some some uh, players. And after that, it's the players buying into a system and, more importantly, playing together. And that team was very selfless. They cared more about each other than they did. And it's, it was funny. We had a 10-year 10, 10 reunion a while back uh, from the Memorial Cup year. And, and they still... Like Josh was the captain of that group. Josh is still the captain today of that group. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was funny to see it, but it's, they're still tight. They still stay in touch. And there's a saying, win today and tomorrow walk together forever. And that's that group for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, you guys had a great group and I know there's a, there, and there was other WHL championships, you know, with that group after as mm -hmm. well. Uh, you went to Boston, got to coach in the National Hockey League. Uh, well, before how, I did that, I went yeah. to the went to Team Canada for well, two years. Well, you did, yeah. You had well, and you had, you coached World Juniors as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, coached World Juniors and uh, some co uh, coaching the World Championships. Yeah. How different is it coaching uh, shorter term tournaments international versus a WHL season? Well, I think. Um, it is a different mentality because you're just trying to get them together as a group and get them on a, on a system as quickly as possible. Um, but I think the one for me that was the toughest was, um, I came from Kelowna and just coached, you know, Melfort and then Kamloops Kelowna. And then now all of a sudden I'm coaching team Canada and the year of the lockout, I was basically coaching the Olympic team. And Pat Quinn at the time was so gracious. He was the Olympic coach and uh, there was no hockey that year. And I was brought in basically, if there wasn't going to be an Olympics, then kind of like what happened in, uh, in Korea, then I would coach that team. Well, mm -hmm. it turned out that there was no NHL season the year before. And now I was going to coach world championship, but it was basically the Olympic team. So I just thought it was the right thing to do to, to go to Bob and Pat and, and tell them that, you know, I'm okay. Like if Pat wants to coach, you know, that's, that's, I, I'm okay with him coaching. That's, I know my place. And so I called Pat and he said, no, nope, not a chance. He says, that's your team. You coach it. 
So I was able to coach it, but now I'm a junior coach and I'm coaching Joe Thornton, Marty Berdur, yep. you know, Nash, these guys. And I walk in and it's a little bit different with Pat Quinn walking into a room than Mark Habscheid walking into a room. So that was a, that was a good test. There was, but I, you know, Tom Rennie helped me. He was, he helped me. He was an assistant with me and Craig McTavish was an assistant with me. So I had good people around me and hockey candle was good. And, and it was thrown right into the fire, but uh, dealing with some high end players, a junior coach uh, dealing with those high end players. So it was, it was something we ended up, Finishing second, losing two one. Not that that bothers me or anything, but uh, or I remember <laughs> that or anything on a goal no. by Yaramir Yager. Not that it bothers me or anything because it doesn't. I'm gonna, yeah, no, it doesn't bother it, me. You don't wake not up that in I remember the night no. screaming in a hot no, sweat. No, 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 not not Good. at all. No, no. But, Through, throughout uh, the years, Mark, you know the the different coaches and just you know the management side of hockey, the people you had the chance to work with. Who, who do you admire and maybe like for what reasons, what, what was it that they brought to your coaching that you really appreciate today and continue to use? Well, I think every one of them did. I was lucky. I was a journeyman beyond journeyman. You know, I had played different teams, different all over the place, all over the world. So I got a lot of experience, I guess, wisdom going through all these different coaches and every coach brought something to the table and it was up to me to filter out what I liked, what I didn't like or whatever. Take, for example, Dave King was very good tactically. Like I went to him for the Olympic team and he taught me how to play defense. He taught me structure, why structure was important. You know, how it you still could freelance, but inside structure, he told me all, taught me all that. But then I go back to my first year and here you have, you know, well, it was it said it was the greatest team of all time in 1985, that Euler group. And half that team's in the Hall of Fame, but yet it's probably one of the closest teams I'd ever been on. So Glenn Sather orchestrated that because now you have the greatest player, you know, player in the world. Yep. And then you have, you know, Messi, you have Coffee, you have all these guys. Well, you know, how do they mesh together? How do they create a team out of that? So he was really good at that. So all these coaches you take a little bit from, I guess. Is that something like today, what's your mix? Like the, the technical part of the coaching versus the, like I say, okay, my goal is to mm -hmm. make this the tightest team that I can make it. Cause I think there's more to gain from that versus the technical, or is it that just nice little mix up? Well, I think right now the biggest thing with, this generation is they want to be a part of the solution so you've got to listen to them you've got to listen to what they say you've got to um, hear what their opinions are they have to be a part of the process and you know what today's players they're way smarter than I was when I played they have good ideas and sometimes you take their ideas and then they feel vested in it as well so I think it's a mixture of everything you got to know you know your players before you know what to do and if you don't create that relationship and know your players uh, you, you're going to make the wrong decision. So I think just to get to know your players and then they'll basically tell you what they need. How much have you changed Mark as a coach from the start to where you are now? What, what aspects of coaching do you think you've really improved on? Mm -hmm. Well, I just think you evolve and that's just life. You get smarter with everything and wisdom and, uh, you know, the, everything technically player wise, everything like the players are different back then to where they are now tactically back then to where they are now. It's, it's just different. And I think the key for not just coaches, but anybody, whether it be in life, we're getting a little deep here is to keep an open mind and improve and identify that change is good. The world's changing. So you got to change with it. Uh, you guys win the WHL championship in 2019. And uh, I was lucky enough to see, well, sort of lucky in that you, you know, fed the Rebels four straight in the first round, but at least got to see the rink. Uh, that atmosphere at the Arthauser Center used to be the Communiplex. And then at watching online of your next rounds, and especially that WHL final, just put to, for me in words what it's like to win a championship 
in a smaller center like Prince Albert, where that rink was uh, like uh, for four rounds, there was no better place to be anywhere mm -hmm. uh, than in that rink for that atmosphere. See, Muna, you're forgetting one thing. What What's the real reason you love that rink? Like, let's bring it out here. What's the real reason you like that rink? It's a good place to call a game from. I'm what right up above is the penalty box. What is there, Moon? Is there deep fried pickles? What about the what, what, what about the cheeseburgers? Oh, okay. <laughs> the rank burgers, Mooner. It's hey, coming out. I'll tell you right now. I will put that concession in Prince Albert up against anybody in our league. Like <laughs> pound for pound, they do a heck of a job in there. I actually I enjoy the whole atmosphere. The people that are like in the lobby before the doors open. They crack the doors and everybody comes in that uh, the concession is just gets like totally bombarded because everybody <laughs> wants either burgers or the fries and gravy. It, it's, it's unbelievable. Lolly, yeah. I'm telling you right now in the playoffs, people were in the lobby waiting for the doors to open with milk crates in their hand. And at first I'm like, what are they doing with these? They were getting milk crates because they were selling so much standing room in the fire marshal special they had going. <laughs> it was they were having them two people deep so that you'd have your milk carton so your milk crate so you could stand on that so you could see from your nice. standing room spot. It was, yeah. yeah, good luck taking a piss in that rink. That was for sure. <laughs> people. But yeah, it was great. But I think I think that the thing that brings or that I remember is is at the start, you know, I tell this story a little bit. I won't mention the team, but there was a few teams that, you know, we had some lean years earlier and we were made fun of our players were made fun of that the mentos were better than us uh you know that we were terrible that it was a joke and we were the joke of the league and and we had such really really good character guys that we just said you know what we'll get our time we'll we'll just keep keep going and we'll get our time and our building at that time actual i think we had 800 people in the building and this is a hockey town this is yeah. but you know, we just, we just needed to kind of reset and get things going, not just winning, but doing the right, you know, being a part, better part of the community and doing those types of things. So we really concentrated on that and concentrated on, on uh, the foundation. And, uh, and I think what really kind of resonated with me is, is, uh, you know, the 800 people in the building. And now all of a sudden, like you said, you've got sawhorses, you've got milk crates, you've got everything. And, and I can remember when we played the giants in the final, um, they would, and then they called it a hot lap too, which what would happen is, is um, our players would go do their jump around. And then at six o'clock, they would do one hot lap around. And then all the horns and the buzzers and everything would go off for this hot lap. Well, Vancouver would sit in the bench the whole team and watch this hot lap go on and see the people in the stands because they were all running in to get their seats right before the hot lap happened and uh and then just the atmosphere in there and I think just to see from where it was to where it went to was when Hanoon scored the overtime goal uh to see people crying you know it's one it meant a lot to him and I had people coming up after we got back from Halifax and just saying that, you know, the effect that that had on the town and how it, you know, gave the town a shot in the arm. And it was, it was good. It was nice. the whole town deserved it and everyone came together on it. That's everything the WHL should be. Yeah, it was good. It was really good for the, for the community. And you know what, for community owned team, small, small yeah. building, small franchise, it really was a shot in the arm what we needed. Geez, after the milk crate story, I thought hot lap was in reference. They were seating them two at a time, uh, on, on, uh, <laughs> sitting on laps uh, for the whole game. <laughs> right on. Well, Mark, uh, thank you so much for coming on the Top Cheddar podcast and, and sharing just some great stories, your time coming out of, uh, we can all agree, a great junior, uh, well, maybe you don't think so much today, but uh, great junior organization, the Saskatoon Blades, all fellow Blades uh, on, on the Oh, list. they're awesome. Yep. And, um, you know, your time with the Oilers through pro and into head coaching uh, where you're at right now with the Prince Albert Raiders. But sincere thanks for making some time for us, sharing some stories. And that was great, eh, Mooner? You're awesome. Happy, you're the best. Right thanks, Mooner. And next time, remember, I'm interviewing you again.
Right. Yes. Yeah. We did. We did that. Flipping the tables last season. But yes, yeah. Hopefully, part, we get to do it again soon. Part two is coming. Part two. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks again for listening in, folks. The Top Cheddar Podcast. If you haven't yet, head to topcheddar.ca. Jeez, like we're up to, I can say dozens now. I, I think uh, we're we're into that. Uh, I like it category now, Mooner, of all the different guests that we've had and and more are coming folks and if you haven't please head to you know whatever platform you're listening to us on spotify apple google please subscribe leave us a review we're begging you please it'd be great hey. come on now yeah. um again big thanks to our sponsor twigandberries.ca folks head there use the code top cheddar and you'll get 15 percent off your entire purchase and you're going to love this stuff. And there's so many great gifts, ideas, you know, whether it's for him, for her, for, for you. There's a lot of cool stuff there for the, for the hockey players, the, uh, the, the ice fishermen in, in your uh, family or those or fisher person. <laughs> but right. all, kinds, all kinds of great stuff. And uh, folks, thanks for listening today. Be, be sure to, uh, like I say, keep listening. We got some great guests coming your way. Mooner, great job as always. Thank you. Good times. You too. Talk soon, buddy. Okay, sounds good.